0: we begin our look at the actual structure of the Jewish national constitution under their theocracy. So in Exodus 19, before the law is given to Israel, God tells Moses of his intention of what he is going to do with Israel and why he is giving them the law read, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a whole nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. And now later we read, and all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the word of the people to the Lord. Now some say this might be rash, that before the Lord has even handed down the law to the people, they say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. This is also the same attitude that we as the church are required to have in order to be faithful to the word of God that we are to predetermine before we know the will of God to follow the will of God in order for the will of God to be revealed to us. That when we are saying, I'm going to wait to see what God wants me to do to decide whether or not I'm going to do it, God's probably not even going to reveal his will to you. Often we get people saying, I just wish I knew what God wanted me to do. Well, it's probably because they're wishing they know what God wants to do so they can decide whether or not they're going to do it. But if they have Determined already to follow in the steps that God has prepared for them, God will reveal his will to them. And it so happens here, the entire nation spoke together and said, before they ever knew what it would entail, yes, we intend completely and without hesitation to do exactly as the Lord has commanded. Now, the only issue is going to arise when they try to do this in their own power, rather than resting on the Lord. Uh, to establish uh, faithfulness by his means and by his will. That's why when we come to the uh, to the Gospels, we see this group of Pharisees and this group of Sadducees who have come up with other laws around the law of Moses in order to hold it up so that they can find ways to keep the law in the flesh rather than keeping the law in the spirit. Uh, so... I'll, I'll hold off a bit on that until we get to the end, because the last segment we're going to do tonight is uh, the Mosaic Covenant as an analogy of the Christian life. Uh, we're, it's going to be pretty established by the time we get there, hopefully, that the Mosaic Law has nothing to do with the Christian life, but we God uses principles of that Mosaic Covenant and how he guides the people to teach man about his sinfulness and to teach man about his inability to be faithful in the flesh, but through resting in faith, God brings about faithfulness. So we're going to look at the Mosaic Law and the law of Christ next to each other uh, in the last section. So I'll hold off a bit on that. But we see here a limited restoration of this kingdom on earth, their promise that they will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God intends uh, for them to be a nation on earth. And so he continues then in the end of Exodus 19 and through Exodus 20 to establish for them what their laws will be that they can hold on to. Now we memorize often these 10 commandments, but really there were 613 laws handed down to Israel that made up their constitution. But the core of their constitution rests on these 10 laws. And in fact, these 10 laws can be divided right down the center as love the Lord your God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. But God is a little more detailed with them than he is with us, uh, primarily because there are different specifics that they are to hold to as a nation that we are not to hold to as a spiritual body under grace, Uh, but also because as a nation, you need something a little more tangible than that. Uh, So we've got the 10 laws a decalogue we call it there is no other gods no idols no taking the lord's name in vain keeping the sabbath honoring the father and mother no murdering no adultery no stealing, no lying and no coveting now some of these seem a little arbitrary at first but they're set up in a structure that we call a chiastic structure and this comes from the greek letter chi which looks like a big x and that's because we have uh repeating themes but they point towards a focus in the center and now the center is actually number 6 having no other gods is really the platform on which all of this rests so we see that having no idols and having or and not coveting really work together to show what your relationship with god and this is really the foundation for the entire law that how do you relate to god on a one-on-one basis And then how do you relate to God within the culture? Are you depending on God or are you depending on idols? Are you depending on God or are you depending on the things that someone else has and seeking to get them for yourself? So we see that number two and number 10 come together to set a foundation of what is your heart towards God? Is he the provider? Is he the foundation? Is he the sustenance for you? Or rather, are you seeking to bring things about in the flesh, like Levi and Simeon had done in, uh, in murdering all of those uh, of those men at Shechem. But we see as the second level, uh, not taking the Lord's name in vain. Number three, and then number nine, not lying. Uh, unlike our uh, our national laws, they actually did have laws restricting language uh, for us we do have penalties for perjury, which is lying, lying under oath, uh, but not necessarily for taking the Lord's name in vain. But these were very important in a theocracy and can be properly done in a theocracy, whereas in a democracy or a republic, uh, it becomes rule of tyranny. Uh, When it's coming down from the Lord, it is perfectly just and perfectly right because it is perfectly fair. So the language is no lying. Uh, do we respect reality? Do we respect truth? Because God is truth. Uh, Are we adhering to reality as he sees it, as he has defined it? Or are we creating for ourselves a reality to better fit uh, the purposes that we want to bring about for ourselves? So we can see even lying uh, attempts to dethrone God and enthrone ourselves. Uh, We can see this in the report that the 10 spies brought back in numbers 13 about the land they didn't get the results that they wanted from the rest of Israel when they said you know this this land's going to be pretty tough to conquer it's a great land but the people there are strong Uh, and Caleb said no by all means let's go and take the land Uh, God's on our side he can do it so the spies changed their story and say well actually it's a terrible land and it devours the people who enter into it and there's monsters in the land and they're going to kill us too Uh, they did not respect the promise of God that he was going to bring them into the promised land, but instead they took matters into their own hands, and they lied in order to do this. So it was very important for God here, and this is prior to that event in Numbers 13. uh, It's very important for God that lying uh, not be permitted within this theocracy, and so taking the Lord's name in vain, not respecting God, not putting him verbally into the position that he is supposed to have in your heart as well you see taking the lord's name in vain isn't something that happens to someone who has properly enthroned him as god in their hearts Uh, jesus speaking to the pharisees says it's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him but what comes out because it reflects upon what is in the heart so we see if you're properly aligned to god and number two no idols then number three Not taking the lord's name in vain is a direct corollary further in this uh in this theocracy established uh, in israel we see laws protecting labor uh to keep the sabbath not to work on god's day of rest and also number eight it's corollary no stealing Uh, god respects private property respects uh, another man's earnings when one has worked and earned that is his possession that the Lord has given to him. But uh, the Sabbath is always spoken about as the Lord's possession. It belongs to the Lord. It is established here in Israel as a sign of this covenant. The Sabbath is not something given to the church, though it is a good practice to rest at times. We are not given a specific day. We're not given a 24-hour period. And that not to say that we are not given one day, but we have to choose a day. So um, I've heard it said, oh, Thursday is my Sabbath. There is nothing more biblically illiterate. Uh, Thursday cannot be Saturday because Sabbath means Saturday. And had anyone in Israel told the the judges or the kings, oh, yeah, no, it's fine that I'm working on Saturday because Thursday is my Saturday. No, they would have been executed because that was the penalty for disobeying or for breaking the Sabbath, for stealing from God. And this is why Israel was kicked out of the land. They were told that every seventh year belongs to the Lord and that they were to not sow their fields, but to leave it fallow for one, uh, for one season. So when the Lord kicks them out for 490 years, it was because, was it 490 years? I can't remember. No, when he kicked them out for 70 years, it was because they had been unfaithful in leaving the land fallow uh, for that time. So this is very important to the Lord, not stealing from the Lord and not stealing from one another. This is how a nation functions. Uh, Five and seven, honoring your mother and your father and honoring your spouse. Uh, No adultery. Uh, so we see that moving again towards this pinnacle of the law, we see that family holds a very important uh, position as, uh, as the foundations grow towards the climax. And you can think of its negative corollary as well. If your relationship with God is not well established, the language will reflect it Your your labor, you'll, you'll find stealing from God, stealing from each other, because often that's what you're doing when you're lying. Is you're finding a way to gain at others' expense. Uh, family relationships also come into play here. Uh, if you're rightly aligned to God, if your speech is rightly aligned, if you're uh, if you're aligned correctly to labor, then your position within the family will also be rightly aligned. Uh, yeah, I think enough said there. Uh, Finally, at the pinnacle of this law is the sanctity of life. Uh, The sanctity of life, again, we want to look at as the consequences of its negative corollary, that when you are not rightly related to God in your heart, then also you will not understand the sanctity that he has on life. He says that uh, to hate another man is tantamount to murder, because you despise the very image of God within the person. Uh, life for man uh, is truly that, that center, that core of who he is, what has been given to him by God, and God alone has the right to take that away from him. So no murder uh, is really the center, the chiastic uh, climax of the law of God, that God has created life and he protects it with his laws. And that was the the covenants before this as well, was to protect life on earth. We can think especially back to the Mosaic the law, where he puts in place uh, capital punishment in order to protect protect life by removing one who does not respect life. Um, Here we see right down to the, he's not dealing with the surface issues of how to deal with someone who has become so poorly related to God that he, misapplies completely the sanctity of life here it deals with the root issue it has to do with how do you relate to god so moving forward here uh the 10 commandments and much of the 613 laws are established in the following chapters of exodus we've got 20 chapters of history and then 20 chapters of law in exodus Uh, in leviticus then we get the entire 613 laws spelled out for us. Sorry, in uh, Exodus 20 through 40, we also have the dealings with uh, how to build a temple in the wilderness, uh, the, the tent or the tabernacle where God will, will dwell among them. The Ark of the Covenant is built during these last 20 chapters of Exodus, so that here in Leviticus, this is the actual written constitution of, uh, of Israel, and it's written as such it has definable parts where it has a preamble. It has uh, it has the laws categorized by expectation, uh, how you relate to God, how you relate to man, how you relate in, in finances and in economics and in, in family, all sorts of things. But at the end of Leviticus here, we see the blessings for abiding by the constitution as well as the consequences for not abiding by the Constitution given down to them. And uh, just like we'll see next time when we look at the land covenant in Deuteronomy, the blessings are much shorter than the cursings, but that does not mean they are less important. In fact, the blessings are far richer than the curses, but the extent of the curses shows the importance or the severity of Walking away from the covenant. And again, I want us to remember that as we go through and look at these blessings, they have nothing to do with eternal salvation. Nothing within this covenant has anything to do with eternal salvation. In order to have the power to keep the laws, one must be saved. But that does not mean that one who is saved will, by necessity or by nature of being saved, keep the covenant. Its direct antithesis is not, does not follow. One who is not eternally saved, who does not have the Lord, does not have within him at all the power to keep the covenant. So we see people like David, people like Solomon, who keep much of the law, but they fail in one place. Now, that failure in one place is not keeping the law. The New Testament makes that clear that the law has to be kept in every place in order for it to be kept at all. And we can look back at the law and say that there's not one man reported throughout all of history other than Daniel. uh, But that doesn't mean that he was not. Every other man has something negative written about them where it comes to the law. Daniel is the only one where the Holy Spirit doesn't reveal to us anything that Daniel did wrong but Daniel in his heart tells us that he has not lived to the law uh, and really the purpose of the law was not to be kept in the sense that one will keep it in order to gain eternal life that is uh has never been the case this was given to a people who was already saved and it's expected that throughout the generations the parents of the Hebrew children will tell them about the God who has saved them and the law that he has given them, so that the law will point towards their sinfulness and their need for a savior, but it does not give them the power to save themselves by keeping the law. So let's read these blessings uh, that are given to the nation of Israel, not to the church, Again, whenever the church tries to take the blessings of Israel, they always conveniently leave behind the curses for disobedience. Uh, so I would just uh, say, just like Christian says, if you want to live through the law, then you take all of the law. You don't get to pick and choose. Uh, here are blessings of obedience. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season so that the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear fruit. Indeed, your threshing will last for you until grape gathering, and grape gathering will last until so time. You will thus eat your food to the full and live securely in your land. I shall also grant peace in the land so that you may lie down with no, with no one making you trouble. I shall also eliminate harmful beasts from the land, and no sword will pass through your land. But you will chase your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. So I will turn toward you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will confirm my covenant with you. You will eat the old supply and clear out the old because of the new. Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you will not be their slaves, and I broke the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. So that is the promise to Egypt or to Israel, rather, that if they abide by their constitution, by their theocratic constitution, uh, that the Lord will bless they're living in the land. But the penalty for disobedience comes here in five waves. Uh, God's going to give five different waves of, of penalty, the fifth being the largest and the most drastic. But we still see that God will never cast them off as a people. He will remove them from enjoying the blessings that he has promised to them. So that their unconditional covenant with Abraham never comes into question, but their driver's license is taken away here five different ways. So here, reading in Leviticus 14, but if you do not obey me and do not carry out all these commandments, if instead you reject my statutes, if your soul abhors my ordinances, so as not to carry out my commandments. So notice again, it starts with our heart towards God. And so break my covenant. I in turn will do this to you. I will appoint over you a sudden terror, consumption and fever that will waste away the eyes and, cast, or and cause the soul to pine away. Also, you will sow your seed uselessly for your enemies will eat it up. I will set my face against you so that you will be struck down before your enemies. And those who hate you will rule over you, and you will flee when no one is pursuing you. Round two. If also, after these things, you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will also break down your pride of power. I will also break down your sky like iron and your earth like bronze. Your strength will be spent uselessly. Your land will not yield its produce, and the trees of the land will not yield their fruit. Again, it is about the land here. If then you act with hostility against me and are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins. I will let loose among you the beasts of the field which will bereave you of your children and destroy your cattle and reduce your number so that your roads lie deserted. Round four, and if by these things you are not turned to me, but act with hostility against me, then I will act with hostility against you, and I, even I, will strike you seven times for your sins. I will also put upon you a sword which will execute vengeance for the covenant, and when you gather together into your cities, I will send pestilence among you, so that you shall be delivered into enemy hands. When I break your staff of bread, ten women will bake your bread in one oven, and they will bring back your bread in rationed amounts, so that you will eat and not be satisfied. Round five. Yet, if in spite of this do not obey me, but act with hostility against me, then I will act with wrathful hostility against you, and I, even I, will punish you seven times for sins further you will eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters you will eat i then will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and heap your remains on the remains of your idols for my soul shall abhor you i will lay waste your cities as well and will make your sanctuaries desolate and i will not smell your sting aromas i will make the land desolate so that your enemies who settle in it will be appalled over it You, however, I will scatter among the nations and will draw out a a sword after you as your land becomes desolate and your cities become waste. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath all the days of of the desolation while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbath. All the days of its desolation it will observe the rest which it did not observe on your Sabbaths. While you, were rest, while you were living on it. As those of you who may be left, I will also bring weakness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies, and the sound of a driven leaf will chase them, and even when no one is pursuing them, they will flee as though from a sword, and they will fall. They will therefore stumble over each other as if running from the sword, although no one is pursuing and you will have no strength to stand up before your enemies but you shall but you will perish among the nations and your enemies land will consume you so those of you who may be left will rot away because of their iniquity in the land of your enemies and also because of the iniquities of their forefathers they will rot away with them so we see a lot of different waves of punishment coming for covenant disobedience. And sadly, this reads like a history of Israel. Uh, Though they were brought incredible blessing uh, during the early portion of the kings, during the early portion of Joshua, we see that their tendency is constantly to move towards covenant disobedience. Uh, So that uh, especially penalty number five we see as very recognizable in the histories of uh, the diaspora, both before Christ and after Christ. Uh, many of these things we supported. Uh, the, the purpose of the prophets, in fact, is as prosecuting attorneys, where they they their responsibility is to remind Israel of their responsibility to these covenants. And that's why we say, or that's why the prophets say, Uh, when they are speaking to the nation of Israel to repent and turn back to the law, back to the covenant, uh, to remember the covenant with God, uh, because as a nation, that was necessary for them to enjoy the blessings of God. Just as for us, once we are saved, in order for us to stay in fellowship with God, not to stay saved, but to stay in fellowship with God, it is necessary for us to repent of our sins uh, through confession. That when the Lord convicts us of our sins through the Holy Spirit, it says in 1 John 1.9 that if we confess our sins, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's the same principle here. This is not a law of blessing and cursing given regarding eternal life, just as the law of Christ is not given to the church as the opportunity to lose your salvation, so that no people here ever becomes disinherited as the people of God, though they are kept away from enjoying the blessings of that land Because the blessings of these lands are reserved for those who are faithful to God. So the blessings of the Christian life are reserved for those who are faithful uh, in that faith. So here we see also the promise of covenant restoration. So we have the promise of blessings for covenant faithfulness. A large section here of penalties for disobedience. But there is also that opportunity for restoration. The Lord has not and will not cast off the people of Israel, and we can be so sure of our own salvation because of this fact of how God deals with Israel, that if God can cast off Israel and choose another people in the church to replace Israel, that he can cast you off and choose another as well. We have our confidence in God's faithfulness because of his faithfulness to an unfaithful people, the Jews. So we can be faithful that God will bring about his promises despite our abilities to keep our own faithfulness to him, that to shift the responsibility onto ourselves to be faithful to God in order to maintain our response, our salvation is to shift the burden of salvation from Christ onto ourselves. So here we look at covenant restoration of Israel. If they confess their iniquity, and the iniquity of their forefathers in their unfaithfulness, which they committed against me, and also in their acting with hostility against me, I also was acting with hostility against them, to bring them into the land of their enemies, or if their uncircumcised hearts become, heart becomes humbled, so that they then make a, amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember also my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham as well, and I will remember the land. Now, this happened in, uh, in the Old Testament under the times of Ezra. We see that he found the law buried away in the temple, brought it out, and Israel hadn't even heard of it. They had no idea what it was. But when, oh no, it, it was uh, Josiah that when Josiah read the law, he was amazed at God's faithfulness, and he shared the law with Israel, and they repented on that day, and God restored Israel. Well, that has not happened in the same way. Israel has returned to their land today in unbelief, but we have a promise in Ezekiel that they will return to faith. So we see that although they are dwelling in their land today, They are not dwelling enjoying the full blessings of the covenant that God has given them because they are unfaithful to their covenant. But let's continue here with the restoration. For the land will be abandoned by them and will make up for its Sabbath while it is made desolate without them. They meanwhile will be making amends for their iniquity because they rejected my ordinances and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet in spite of this, When they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I so abhor them so as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them. See, God has covenanted himself to the people despite their actions. They will not be able to enter into the enjoyment of these covenants without faithfulness. For I am the Lord their God, but I will remember for them the covenant with their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of nations, that I might be their God, I am the Lord.